church that have been blessed of God and and um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, some special things that we're going to be doing. But one of the big things we're doing is we're going to be going on our last Sunday of this month, the 29th, which is our actual church anniversary. We're going to be going from three services back to two services. Now, most of you know, a couple years ago, we added a third morning service, and we've seen back-to-back fantastic years of, of growth. I'm thankful we did that. But the primary reason we went from two services to three was because we were having trouble in the parking lot and trouble with the nurseries. And recently we've added a nursery and we've got some more parking spots that we're going to be adding that's going to allow us to go back to a two-service format. And I'm super excited about this. And uh, there's... uh uh, the, the spots that, that we're going to have added, they're not going to be added by our church anniversary, but I thought that'd be the kind of day we want to get as many of us together at the same time as possible. I wish we could go back to just one service on that day, but uh, it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for us, and so I'm really looking forward to that, and I hope you'll be praying with me. I've got more to say about those things, but we've got so much going on today, I've probably taken all the time I should at this time. I'd like to ask our ushers if they would to come as we prepare to receive our offering this morning, and uh, it's cliche but we all know that freedom isn't free we enjoy the nation we have because of those who've given i'm thankful that salvation is free we don't give to gain the love of god but because he loves us the bible says we can reciprocate and respond in love and giving is an act of worship the apostle paul told us it's an act that proves the sincerity of our love and so we're grateful now to be able to worship the Lord in this way, and I hope that you'll open your heart and, uh, and enjoy this opportunity. Our Father, thank you for the privilege that's ours of being in this place. Open our hearts. God, I pray that this offering would testify to our belief in you and our love for you, and may these gifts be used to help many people. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning and join me in turning to the Old Testament book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be, and our country enjoys a lot of great holidays, but this one really is special because we're celebrating the beginning of our nation, in a sense, the birth of our nation, the birthday of our nation, and uh, I'm grateful for the United States of America. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have, and I've been blessed with the opportunity to visit a lot of nations. I lived in the nation of South Korea for uh, several years, and, and we are uniquely blessed here. We're grateful for the life, the liberty we have here, and the privilege to pursue happiness. And we're all aware today that we don't live in a perfect country, but it's undeniable that our country has been uniquely blessed. 
uniquely blessed. And I really believe that any honest historian, and when looking back to the beginning of our country, would have to conclude that people of faith who derived principles from the Word of God had a massive influence, a massive hand in the founding of our nation. The psalmist in Psalm 33 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so many of those at our nation's founding were people of faith in Jesus Christ. And it was that faith that led them to do the things that they did. How many of you have ever ever heard of George Washington? Yes, he was there at the beginning, our first president. And he made this statement. He said, Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise, and in this sense and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. Now change, we may do that, but the reality is you can't rewrite the story of how our nation was founded. By and large, it was founded by people who had a heart's desire to see lives led that would be honoring and pleasing to God. And it's true that in the last 242 years of life that our nation has seen many changes, many of them good and and some perhaps not so good. I think at times we've gone from God bless America to God bless America. We've seen these changes, but I'm grateful for some imperfect and yet incredibly patriotic men and women who laid their lives on the line for a set of beliefs and convictions that shaped the founding of our nation. It's been said that one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Many of the problems that we face as a nation are problems that we have faced before. I I believe looking to our founding the founding of our nation, we can find an example and inspiration that uh, will help us as we seek to move move forward. And today, as we consider the birth of our nation, I want us to take the time to consider the birth of of another nation that we find in the Bible. We're going to see today in Genesis chapter 12, the founding of the nation of Israel. I'm aware that we are not Israel, but we can find in the Bible principles that can be applied to lives and and to families and to communities and and even to nations. We find some encouraging truths here in the Bible. And Genesis is a book of beginnings. In fact, the word Genesis means beginning. There are at least three major beginnings that we find in the book of Genesis. The beginning, I mean the beginning of humanity. We find creation here. We find the beginning that came as a result of the flood. And and we know that through Noah, God brought a new beginning. And then we find the beginning of the great nation of Israel as God recorded it in His Word. And God in that moment used a man by the name of Abraham to uh, be the, the seminal figure that led to the founding of that nation. We'll find in this text the beginning to a nation, and I believe it can correlate to our own nation today. But more than that, we're going to find how we as individuals can be people who can live in a way that will allow us to bless this country in which we're living. So if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. If you're glad to be in church, say amen. amen. Good. If you've got some barbecue ahead of you this week at some point, say Amen. Yeah, I think that's one of the more American things we'll do is gather together around barbecues and uh, worship the burnt sacrifices there. But we're going to have a great week together. But uh, I want us to get in Genesis chapter 12 today and we'll read a few verses to get us started. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee and make thy name great, and 
thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There's a statement found in verse 2 I'd like for you to take note of if you would. Just the expression, a great nation. A great nation. God here is leading Abram, as we find him in this text, his name would later be changed to Abraham, so that name's used interchangeably in Scripture. But God said, Abram, listen, why don't you follow me and you'll discover that I can use you in the process of beginning a great nation. Our Father, we're thankful today for the historical accounting of that which you've done. And yet, Lord, we're here today to learn from history so that we can learn lessons that would enable us to live lives that would be honoring to you. Help us, Lord. We need your help in this day, and I pray that this service would be useful for us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the great parts of being a pastor is I get to be there with families in their moments of joy and happiness, and over the years, I don't know how many hospitals I've visited to help a couple welcome the birth of a baby. And uh, it's always exciting to welcome the birth of a baby. They're exciting creatures. They've always got something interesting they're doing, and especially when they're just little tiny guys. Every little movement, it's the first time they've ever done it, and everybody wants to give their attention to it. And we know that children are the future. We know they're exciting. And how many of you like me know they can also be a lot of work, okay? Uh, they don't come knowing how to do a lot of things. Children don't even know how to feed themselves, and that's a problem. There's a bigger problem. They don't know how to go to the bathroom. This creates a, a whole lot of other issues, okay? And so children come, and they're fun, and they're exciting, and they're joyous, yet at the same time, they're a lot of responsibility. They're a lot of work. You, you welcome the joy, but you realize that along with that joy comes now a renewed sense of responsibility. You know, it's kind of like that with a nation. As our nation was founded, it no doubt was exciting, but those who signed the Declaration of Independence were people that welcomed a new degree of responsibility and accountability to their lives. Of those 56 men who signed our nation's Declaration of Independence, we know that five were captured by the British and tortured as they died. We know that 12 had their homes ransacked and burned and two lost sons in the war. Another two had sons who were captured. Nine of the 56 died while fighting in the war. There's one man in our nation's founding that uh, I've read much of, Thomas Nelson, and it's interesting, as, as he was involved in the war effort, his home that had been taken over by the British, he was, he was on a field surveilling it, and his home was used as the headquarters. The British General Cornwallis had made his headquarters in the home of Thomas Nelson, yet it was Thomas Nelson himself who gave the order for the cannons to be fired on his home. These were people that were thankful for freedom, but they understood responsibility. They understood what it was to, to pay a price. John Hart, also a signer of the Declaration, he returned from one battle to find that his home and his fields had been burnt, and as he was going through the, the debris, he found his wife who had been killed. For the next several days, he ran without stopping, looking for his children, and they say that he died literally of exhaustion. He couldn't even stop himself to rest. He was so brokenhearted and sought so much to find his, his children. I share that with you to share that there's a responsibility that came with the founding of a nation. 
And for those of us who call the land of the free and the home of the brave our home, we too have a responsibility. We're living in a day where we don't see many people rallying to say, hey, I want to be responsible. I want to do my part. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to sacrifice. Many times in this day, we're more interested in what we can take, what we can receive, rather than that which we can give. It's a responsibility here that Abram had before the Lord. As Israel was being founded. I'm talking about the responsibility that our founders embraced. It's a responsibility that falls to all those who know God and love freedom. And in this passage today, we're going to learn that those who bless their nation, first of all today, they're led by beliefs that shape their behavior. They're led by beliefs that shape their behavior. Now let's go back to verse 1 in our text and consider again what it is we read there. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. We know that Abram here was being called from the known into the unknown. And it was a process for him that required great faith. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, there's a passage that we call the Hall of Faith or the Chapter of Faith. And and in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, the Bible says that it was by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. The Bible tells us that at the time of God's call upon his life, he was living in a city called Ur. Archaeologists have done work there, and they've concluded that Ur was an advanced society. It would have been a great place to live. And Yet Abraham here, because of faith, he moved forward following the leadership of God. I think similarly of our forefathers, as they crossed the Atlantic and then the work that was done here, It was all new to them. Our our founders declared independence, upending a system that had had stood with status quo for for too long. They said, no, we're going to walk away from that which is familiar, that which we know, and and by faith we're going to believe that God has something different and better, better for us. You know, in each case, it was a belief that freedom was God's birthright to every person. No government grants you freedom. You are a free moral agent. Abraham was a model of faith in that he traveled to a land he'd never seen. We know that he was a model of faith and that he didn't let strife in his family prevent him from going where God would have. He was a model of faith and that Abraham tithed to God of his income long before there was a law requiring a tithe to God. In other words, I want you to know this. If you're listening, say amen. It was not just words with Abraham. It was his behavior that showed us his faith. People that make an impact in their families, in their communities, and even in their nation. They are people of such conviction and character that it's not just words, but it's actions that back it up. James, the younger brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said this. He said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. Here's what James said. And I'll show you my faith by my works James was saying, hey, I don't just walk around saying, listen, I've got faith. He said, I want you to know if you observe my life, the conclusion that you would draw from the testimony, not just of my speech, but of my actions would be that someone who has a faith in God. It's beliefs that have an impact on behavior. There is an authority of which we 
speak today, less so today than in days gone by, but I'm speaking of what we often call a moral authority. A moral authority. Sadly, people of faith have seen this mantle drop much because of our own actions and at times lack of those actions that are right. And it's interesting that it seems that those non-believers in our world and country today have higher expectations when it comes to a standard of conduct for people of faith than many times even people of faith have for themselves. I believe today would be a good day for us to be called back to a life that is lived in such a way that it would reflect that which we believe. Now, I'm glad to tell you today that God accepts us not on the basis of what we do, but on the basis of who He is. I'm not talking about earning the favor or love of God. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But in practice, our faith is best declared not just with our lips, but with our lives. Our lives. Charles Spurgeon is the most published pastor of all time. And one time he made this statement. He said, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and they reject his preaching. He wasn't talking to just preachers. He was saying that if we're not careful, we can live lives that contradict what it is we would profess to believe. And there's power found in a life that has behaviors that can be linked and rooted in in a set of beliefs. Strong nations are best led by those who talk the talk as well as walk the walk. That leads to the second thought we'll find in this passage. I want you to know that uh, we're blessed when we do this. We're led by a grace that supports their generosity. Led by a grace that supports their generosity. Now let's look to verse 2 in our passage again. Where God here says, I'll make of thee a great nation, and I'll bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I want you to notice the expression. God says, here's what's going to happen. As you follow me in faith, I'll bless you, and then you will be the one to then bless others. Now, when God uses the word bless here, it's defined as a divine favor. God says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a divine favor. There's another word that is defined as a divine favor. It's the word grace. That would be our New Testament understanding of, of God giving to us that which we could never earn on our own. And so God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you a grace that will enable you to live a life of generosity. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, not just so that you can hoard blessings, but so that through you, those around you can be blessed as well. How many of you today would agree with me that we are a blessed people? Now, spiritually, we know we're blessed. The psalmist in Psalm 68, verse 19 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. That word at the end literally means think on that for a while. The psalmist said, we're a blessed people, man. We've got a good God. He's loving. He's benevolent. Every day, man, he just loads us down with benefits. Think on that for a while. We're blessed spiritually. But did you know as Americans today, we are profoundly, profoundly blessed and I recognize today we're not a perfect nation, and I'll tell you one of the main reasons we're not a perfect nation, because I live here, and I'm not perfect. 
And I've discovered anywhere you have people, you're going to have problems. So uh, I, I am aware today that uh, we are not a perfect nation, but friends, we are blessed. We are, we are a privileged people. It's interesting that this nation that many times we're so critical of as residents is a nation that people the world over are clamoring to get into. How ironic is it that we would be critical of a place that is blessed in, in that regard? Paul in 1 Timothy wrote this. He said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, if I were to ask today, how many of you are rich in this world? I don't think any of you would stand up and say, me, man, I'm loaded. <laughs> you know, I've got tons of money. You're talking to me, preacher. Let me tell you something. In this world, you're rich and so am I. You see, in this world, there's more than one billion people right now who live on less than $1 a day. In this world, we are rich. The United States is only about 4.5% of the world's population, yet we bring in about 30% of the world's gross domestic product. We're a blessed people. And God says in principle, listen, I bless people not so that they can hoard blessings, but so that they can be a conduit or a channel through which I can bless others. We're to be led by a grace that, that supports a life of generosity. I'm saying today with blessing comes responsibility, and we have been blessed to bless. God's grace enables us to help and serve others in a powerful way. And we can all give. Why? Because we've all received from a good God who blesses people. A lot of you know that my wife is uh, a coach for more than 20 years. She's coached uh, different sports, and, and uh, she loves athletics. I do, too. Uh, but one thing I appreciate about my wife is she really does love the kids, and I've seen coaches get that upside down and inside out in all the wrong ways, and, and uh, my wife absolutely loves it. Uh, I came home the other day, and she had a whole softball team in there. It was a, a day their practice got rained out, and uh, they had cups set up all over on the floor doing some kind of team-building thing, and they were having uh, so much fun, and I, I thought at that moment, I thought, these kids are blessed just to be in the same room with my wife. That's because I think a lot of my wife, okay? And, uh, and the other day I saw that she got a note and I read it and I asked her, I said, do you mind if I share some of this with our church? And she said, uh, no, don't you dare. And so uh, here's the note. I was gonna, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of it, uh, she reluctantly said that I could share. And it's, it's, uh, there's a lot here, I'm not gonna read it all. But uh, uh, she said this, I know I can always come to you with anything and everything, and you'll help guide me through it. I tell everyone, you're like a second mom to me, and I truly mean it. Listen to this. This is a high school girl. I strive to be like you, not only because you are a beast in absolutely everything you do. If you're glad to know my wife's a beast, say amen. <laughs> but also because your relationship with God is incredible. I want to be a strong woman of God just like you you're always such a joy to be around you always make me laugh with your jokes she goes on to thank my wife for helping to lead her in the way of god now i want to tell you why i shared this with you because i like my wife and i i read things like this and i'm proud of her but that, that's not the entire reason my wife was reached for christ by a teacher who took an interest in her who helped her and encouraged her. 
and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. My wife placed her faith in Jesus because of the influence as a teacher. So my wife was blessed. And with that blessing, what is she doing now? She's trying to dump it on as many people as she possibly can in every which way she possibly can. And and listen, if you're here today, you need to know something about yourself. You've been blessed. Now, I know we all have some sad stories, but we're sitting in this room and there's a lot worse rooms in the world we could be sitting in. You've been blessed. And God can use you to serve Him. God can use that which you've received to help and encourage others. God's blessing, it's for us to enjoy and for us to share. And there are lives out there for you to touch. You've been blessed by God's grace and you have something great to offer others. And it's a wonderful country when there's a bunch of people that feel that way about their lives. Here's the third element I'll share with you this morning. We see that... Great leaders and nations, they're led by a relationship that supplies their righteousness. Now, I know righteousness is a Bible word. It means rightness. And so I believe that great leaders are those who understand that there's a relationship that we can have that, that puts that rightness, that righteousness in us. Now, Abraham is a man that clearly had a relationship with God and In verse 3, we read these words together a moment ago. God said to Abraham, he said, I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse him that curseth thee, and and these shall all families of the earth be blessed. There's a relationship there. In fact, it's interesting to me that, that the Bible, when writing about the life of Abraham, says there's a very special word that that describes the relationship that God and Abraham enjoyed together. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, the Bible says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God. That's how you begin a relationship with God, through faith. The Bible says, And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So the relationship was was started. It brought righteousness to his life. And it says this, And he was called the friend of God. I just love the thought. Who's that guy over there? Oh, that's God's friend. Really? How did that happen? Well, a relationship was established by faith and it brought God's righteousness into the life of of Abraham and they enjoy this, this relationship. I guess you could call it a friendship. A friendship with God. Righteousness speaks of that right standing before God and in action it speaks of right actions for God and we know some things about righteousness Proverbs 14 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We've never been a perfect country, but friends, as we go back to the beginning and see that Judeo-Christian ethic, those morals, a legal system based on the teachings that we find in the Word of God, we find that there were people that had a relationship with God that brought God's righteousness into their life and people that sought to do right actions for God, and it did exactly what the Bible says it does. It exalted or it lifted up a nation to a special place in the chronicling of the history of the world. In the 1800s, there was a French diplomat and political scientist, Alexis de Tocqueville, and he toured America to observe what made us tick. He wanted to take a look at us. What's happening over there? It's, it's inexplicable to see the good things that are happening in that country. He, he wrote his, his findings in a work called Democracy in America. And I want you to listen to what it is he, he said. He said this, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers. It was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. 
in her rich mines and in her vast world commerce. It wasn't there. In her democratic congress, in her matchless constitution, and our constitution is matchless, by the way. He said it was not there. Then he wrote this, Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America's great because she's good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That finding came a long time ago. I think per capita there were far more pulpits in America aflame, as he said. And the greatness of America, I believe, as he pointed out, it it goes back to the goodness of those who would call this place their home. People that say, you know something, Uh, I'm glad that through faith I can have a relationship with God and as God works in my life, I can generate something I could never have generated on my own. Those things that are good. And you get enough people living lives that seek to do good according to God and by God's power, what's going to happen in time is you're going to have a nation that will become great. Great. His analysis was that America, America was fueled not by resources or institutions, but by people of faith who sought to live as God would have them to live. There was a relationship that led to righteousness that then exalted a nation. People who know God and follow God in faith are the greatest resource any nation can have. It may be that you're the greatest asset in your community, on your street, at your workplace, if you know God and live for Him. Here is the order of things is seen in Abraham's life. He trusts God by faith. He receives God's righteousness. He Begins this relationship with God by faith, and it led his view of life then to lead him to do his best for the Lord. He he was not trying to earn God's favor. He already had God's favor. But knowing that he would not live forever in this life, he determined to do his very best with the time that he had on this planet to make the most for the things of God. He had a perspective in life that was empowered by faith. As I close, I want to just say today that the beauty of the way God works is that He never one time told us to do righteousness so that we then could have a relationship. That's backwards from how it is that God works. In fact, in Titus 3 and verse 5, the Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but it's by His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In Ephesians 2, the Bible says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, physical freedom is so important to all of us. July 4th is not just the celebration of the founding of a nation. It really is a celebration of freedom itself. But we are never so free as when we have a relationship with God that liberates us to live for Him. Jesus in John 8 said it this way, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He went on to add these words. He said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm talking about a spiritual freedom that changes everything. A freedom in Jesus Christ. We all arrive in life sharing in this bondage that comes from a common cause. 
Bible tells us that none of us are perfect, and because of that, we, we are in bondage to sin. The Bible in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul one time wrote this in Romans 8. He said, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me tell you about the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. You sin, you die. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. We're born that way. No one had to teach us how to do it. We just come knowing how to sin. I'm telling you today that freedom is not found in a country per se. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He frees us from the penalty of our sins so that we can be forgiven and know we'll have a home in heaven one day. And he liberates us then to live the kind of life that blesses the nation in which we live. It's only Jesus who from the inside out can take a person who had been in captive, liberate them, bless that life so that they become a blessing to all those who are around them. And friends, there's only one way to be truly spiritually saved and liberated from the law of sin and death. And that's through faith and the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's believing that Jesus is God the Son, that He shed His blood on the cross of Calvary. He died on the cross and that He was buried and three days later that He rose again to validate that He is who He said He is and that He did what He told us He would do and that in Him we can be saved. In Romans 10, the Bible says it this way, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And every time I read that verse, I like to emphasize the word shall. It's not just an old English way of using the word will. Shall is more emphatic. It means no doubt about it. And God says, listen, here's how it works. If you'll call upon me for spiritual salvation, and what is implied in that is we admit, hey, we're not perfect. We need to be saved because of our sin. He says, if you'll call uh, on me, here's what will happen. I will answer you, and without a doubt, you will be spiritually forgiven of your sins. You'll be liberated from a life that's held captive by that. And you'll be freed to live a life in which we can be blessed and then bless others. I want to ask you today, if you have freedom in the United States of America, we have a, a degree of freedom by virtue of the fact that we live here. But I do want to close today by asking you this. Do you know what it is to have spiritual freedom? Spiritual freedom. And I want that to be the thoughts of our hearts as we prepare to make our way out of this room today. Move on into the rest of this weekend. Our Father, we're thankful that you are a God that puts the value in each person here. Lord, we're grateful that all men are created equal. No, we're not the same, but we're thankful that in you there's an equality that can lead to a legitimate freedom as we apply your truth. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts to this thought this morning. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed just in a spirit of prayer this morning. And, and I want you to think with me on a couple thoughts. You know, the fact of the matter is you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You can be forgiven of your sins, but there are times where even Christians will walk back into a life of bondage. I'm not suggesting we lose our salvation. We're just not appropriating all the privileges we have. How sad would it be if someone lived in the United States of America and never exercised the rights that we have? Well, how too would it be if we as people of faith lived beneath the privileges we have in Jesus? Maybe today would be a good day for you to be encouraged, challenged, stirred, provoked, prodded. 
to get back to willingly choosing the life that God would have you to live. That life of honor and integrity, that life of responsibility. That life where your behaviors can be traced right back to what it is you say you believe. Maybe today that that's the truth you need. But listen, maybe you're here today and as I closed, I talk about the need we all have. It's a universal need that we share and it's the need to have our sins forgiven by God so that we can be spiritually saved and we can be made free by Jesus. Spiritually free. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know, pastors, we think of the meaning of this time for our country and the meaning of of this message that we've heard today. I, I wonder, maybe you're here and you'd say, pastor, that's kind of a decision that... I think is one that could need to be made in my life. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I'm just not sure if I were to die that I'd spend forever in heaven with God. And again, folks, the great news is this. You can know that. I wonder how many of you here this morning would say, you know, Pastor, when it comes to really knowing I have that relationship with God, I'm, I'm not sure of it. And as you spoke of that this morning, that's kind of what was stirring up in my heart. I'd, I'd like to be absolutely certain I have that kind of relationship with God that brings spiritual freedom. Are there those like that this morning by the testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, I'm not sure I have that spiritual salvation, but I'd like to be sure of that. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here and there are other decisions that need to be made. You've been scripturally saved, but not yet scripturally baptized, or God's putting on your heart to unite with the Coastline family by way of membership. Hope you'll follow the leading of God. Use your freedom in a great way, would you? Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and Ryan's going to begin to sing a song. And as Ryan begins to sing, that's going to be an indication it's time for us to pray. Wouldn't it be great if we prayed today, God, make me a blessing. Yes, God, give me a blessing, but not so I can hoard it, but so I can share it. And if there's a spiritual need in your life, I'll be here in the front with others that serve with us. We'd be happy to pray with you. As the singing begins, let's go to God in prayer.